So hi, and welcome back to the Story of Software podcast. Today, we're going to talk about technology and healthcare workforce management. We're joined by David Ives, who's the CTO at Patchwork. How are you today, David? I'm very good. Fantastic. So for the benefit of our audience, uh, David has extensive experience in the technology world, mostly in senior positions, leading teams and businesses. He's now the CTO of Patchwork Health, which combines industry-leading technology with specialist expertise to bring tailored service to solve the unique challenges of healthcare organizations. So looking forward to getting into a little bit of that with you, David. Maybe to kick off, you could tell us a little bit about yourself and your work at Patchwork. Yeah, so um, I've been in technology for around 20 years. Uh, started off as an engineer. Uh, I've worked through a number of different startups, but actually did start my technical career within the NHS as a, as a web engineer. So I've kind of gone full circle from working at sort of a trust level to going away and doing many things from fintech to martech, weather forecasting, tourism, a whole host of different verticals. Um, and then sort of come back again into engineering in a, in a health environment, very much working with the founders to bring products to the market that are serving healthcare, NHS primarily, um, and providing sort of a level of empathy and flexible working for uh, healthcare professionals and in a money-saving opportunity for the health service itself. Could you drill deeper into that? So what would be some of the specific challenges that your company is solving, both for the workers themselves and for, for the employers? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we're a marketplace. We serve both sides of the table. The NHS is going through a terrible resourcing crisis right now where people are leaving their health service in droves. You know, it's a really difficult situation to work in. Obviously, the last couple of years, it's been an enormous amount of pressure. So we're fulfilling the needs for the health service to actually provide workers to fulfill the shifts that they need. And then on the other side, we're providing a more flexible working opportunity for the healthcare professionals themselves, where it's a notoriously difficult industry. And they don't have the same kind of privileges that we have in technology, where we're able to work much more flexibly and kind of pick and choose what it is that we want to do and where we want to do it and when we want to do it. So we provide a, an opportunity to allow healthcare professionals to be in a position where they can choose some of the times that they work and, and work in situations that are much more in line with how they want their work life balance to be. In what way are you leveraging technology to address these challenges or opportunities, depending on how you want to view them? The health service is, you know, very archaic in a lot of the systems that it uses. You know, they've kind of inherited services and processes as they've grown. And there's still a huge amount of manual work that goes on within the healthcare service itself. You know, we still see a lot of hospitals and trusts where things are literally done as a daily Excel sheet, which is an opportunity to see the shifts that are there and then get notified quite late that those shifts are not going to be fulfilled, whether that's through illness or annual leave or, or whatever. And some of the rotor coordinators that are the, kind of the end users of our product on the healthcare side will literally import a whole list of email addresses of people that could potentially be available for that shift and then run through and bulk email them and then wait for these responses to come through and deal with them one by one. You know, what we do is we take that effort away where we can give the health service the actual opportunity to link directly with the healthcare professionals that will be available for that work. And then on the other side with the app that we provide for the healthcare professionals, they can see the upcoming shifts that they might want to be interested in, and then they can put themselves forward for it. So they're, they're proactively 
filling these shifts rather than it being requested directly from them. That's kind of on a real base level what we do. If you extrapolate that further, I mean, we're, the tool that we actually give to the healthcare teams allows them to look at historic data and have a much better idea about where they're going to have staff shortages. There's also sort of routine processes that happen within the health service, which mean that there are staff shortages. So they're able to be much more ahead of the curve and much less reactive about things. And it's just a tool that kind of links the two of them together. So it's, it's available throughout the healthcare service. So rather than it just being a, a rotor coordinator working on a, on a spreadsheet, this is something that from the chief exec down to the actual implementation teams can use these tools and then they can, they can link themselves available to fulfill the shifts. Very cool. I'm guessing that building technology in this space comes with its own unique challenges. Would you be able to speak a little bit about what they could be? It's a highly, highly regulated industry. I mean, we're dealing with patient safety, which is our number one priority with every piece of work that we do is ensuring that the right people are connected with the right shifts at the right time. So the patient is the number one priority in all of this. So there's our own extremely high standards that we go through, but then there's also the standards that we go through with trust. So that's the first thing that we have to look at. The second thing is probably interoperability. Other platforms and services that the health service buy. There's many, many vendors in the market for different services a hospital is going to use, and they have to work pretty seamlessly together. So we're not just building a product for ourselves and our customers, we're building a product for our customers to then potentially interoperate with the other products that they use as part of their daily workflow. There's also a really interesting challenge that we face where the customers have already got an idea about what it is that they're actually trying to deliver. So their feature request set is very rich from day one. So if you compare us to a more traditional SaaS company where we would build something relatively simplistic, we would be disrupting the market. We would provide one area of service. We would then put that out to customers. We would get that level of feedback. We would iterate and then we would move out. We, we work in pretty much the, the adverse sort of way of looking at that where we already know exactly what it is that we need to deliver going into an enterprise situation where we have to build probably 70 to 80% of the product before we can even put it in front of a customer. So if we can't satisfy their initial base needs, then we can't even get into that conversation. So there's a lot of work we do. We've got a fantastic team within technology, but outside of technology as well, where there's a huge amount of people that have worked for the health service themselves. So we have a lot of in-house knowledge where they're in a position where they can represent the customer at every stage of the conversation. So we start the development before we even talk to potential customers. The, the growth team will be looking about what the market actually looks like and where the opportunities for expansion are. But when it comes down to actual product specifics, a lot of that work is done internally. Then we'll start looking at things like a pilot project with, with one of our customers where we can then start getting that iteration into their hands. We can then start getting that final bit of feedback to really understand what it is that they really, really need. And then also what it is that we can expand upon and start to solve some of their problems for tomorrow. David, it's kind of a little bit out of the normal flow of, of SaaS software, as you mentioned earlier. What does that mean for your software development lifecycle and for your process? Yeah, it's very different, actually. Once the product's in market, it's fine. It's the, it's the upfront, which is different. So this is where our process is quite strange. So we may speak to a customer in January that wants to see a demo in March to sign a contract in August for a product that they need in December. So it's, it's quite a long reach when we look at that. So this is where it's very different from you know, your typical SaaS. So this means that at some points early on, 
we're gathering that information. The product team are working really hard to understand the rest of the market. And then we're putting those proposals early on, those conversations. Now, this is where the pilot schemes come in because we can, we can lean on them as well, where we've got real world advice that's coming in from people that are using this product potentially in tandem with their other solution, whether that's a competitor or whether that's a more manual process. So they're in a position where they can actually validate that what we're doing is going to solve the initial problems that they need. But it does, it does change the process. I think when we talk about some of the challenges we have, we are probably more, more deadline driven than the most SaaS businesses I've been working with before, where we would focus very much on working in an agile way. We would deliver customer value every two weeks or whatever our iteration cycle was. And this is slightly different where we're going to deliver probably slightly bigger chunks of work so we can actually show a potential customer it working end to end because they're not necessarily in the mindset of seeing those small incremental changes. We're dealing with customers that are on a personal level, very used to using software in this way, but on a business level, they're used to that turnkey enterprise solution, that very sort of faceless corporation that they may deal with sometimes where a product is delivered on day one. And that's, that's what you're going to use for the next three or four years. I think one of the things that we strive for at every step is to make sure that we've got that empathy with the user. When we talk to a lot of our, our customers, and I'm not talking about our decision makers, we're talking about the people that actually use our product day to day. The frustrations that they feel is the product that they are given to use. They've had no input in this whatsoever. So it feels very difficult and they feel quite detached from it. By using things like pilots and some of the partners that we work with, we're in a position that we can actually talk to the right people and make sure that we're understanding the problems that they're facing day to day, not just the people that are actually going to sign off on the budget or they're going to sign off on the purchase. So we kind of come at it from two sides. We have, the, we have the longer process, which is the budget holder process. And then once we start getting into that, then we can actually start talking to the users, which is where we fall into more of a traditional kind of SaaS. Right now, um, Patchwork is primarily selling into the UK National Health Service. And my understanding is that the NHS is divided into trusts that govern different geographic regions within the UK. Is that a correct understanding? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. So it's um, very it's sort of fragmented in a way. There are different areas that use different vendors and, and operate in different ways. So we have an incredible CPT team that we call them that are actually out working with the primary trusts and in a position where they're talking to the businesses themselves and the, and the units themselves where the strategy is to be in a position where by getting a like a key customer a key player in a certain area you immediately become more attractive to those that are around them as well where those those trusts need to interoperate with each other on a certain level when we're dealing with temporary staffing from a from a bank perspective if you cannot fill your shift from your regular roster you'll go to your local bank and if you can't fill from your local bank which is kind of trust centered you'll go to what we call the collaborative bank, which is wider reach. Now, it's much more effective if all of the trusts in that area are using the same product because they can automatically reach out and they can be in a position where they are they're instantly able to reach more and more healthcare professionals. There's a true benefit to kind of being in a position where these people start to work more collaboratively. So we have like a land and expand model where we're able to, to go and talk to some of these trusts, the key ones, um, and then that sort of filters out and we start to get more of a sort of a saturation in that area as well. Very good. 
do you find that there's a big difference or divergence between the functionality that different trusts are asking for? I think when we look at it on a base level, everybody is trying to solve the same problem. Trusts are under a huge amount of pressure to reduce waiting times. And waiting times are directly correlated to the amount of team that you can actually get on premise on any one day. Most of their budget comes from their performance. So they are looking primarily to get waiting lists down as much as they can. And the thing that blocks them on that is getting the right people on the right shifts. And I think what's interesting with most products when you really drill it down is that initial feature set that you get requested, when, when you break down the problems that people are trying to solve is they're very, very similar and they're normally quite simple. So rather than us replicate what others have done or our competitors are trying to do, we're really trying to solve the core problem, really understand what that is and then build up sensible empathetic solutions that revolve around that which means that everybody can actually be much more successful without building in a whole load of bulk that goes with it. From a business development perspective, I remember a number of years back selling into an NHS trust in the UK and there was an extremely long sales cycle. Is there anything you can do to short circuit that sales cycle or is this just the world in which you must operate? I think it's still, it's still a machine with many, many moving parts. Um, I think as an organization, it's about risk in the NHS. I think risk aversion is probably one of the key things that everybody's looking for. Now, we've worked very hard to make sure that obviously we build up a great reputation with our customers, but then also within the, the NHS as a wider body. So we're in a position where we are working on other products in the background as well. And that means that we're in certain frameworks that we've been in the tender and bid process for. So we're able to sort of have a level of standing within that procurement process already. So although the process is still quite long, we're already sort of a few steps up the ladder because we're a unknown quantity. The due diligence has been done on us as a company. Um, we're trusted. We've got a track record. So we can make it move as quick as it possibly can. I think the NHS on, as a whole is beginning to move quicker as it goes. I think COVID's been a, a real eye-opener about how it needs to move much quicker in different ways. There's certain things that were kind of months or, or potentially even years to get moving that have now been reduced down, you know, a considerable amount. We're involved in some of those processes that kind of make these things much easier. But there's, there's a real understanding that for the pressure that the organization is under, there are certain levers that can be pulled that will have an effect. And trying to speed some of these things up and trying to remove some of the bureaucracy is, is one of the key things that they're looking for. I think it's pretty clear that healthcare tends to be quite country specific. So you have your NHS system in the UK and the US healthcare market is extremely difficult. Given those differences, how does one go about international expansion from a business and from a technology perspective? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's obviously it's a, it's a core part of our roadmap. Our focus is very, very much in the UK right now. I think for us, there's a, there's a very large market we want to be able to manage the best we possibly can. And our focus is very much on creating the best possible solutions we can for the problems that are in front of us right now. US is a few years out for us. There's differences between sort of the US and Europe. And I think if we look at, we look at Europe and think that actually what we've got is even more fragmented healthcare systems, that the US is a much more realistic target, something that we're really sort of driving towards. Now, one of the one of the things that's kind of put in that in a timeline order is the 
the level of quality control that is required for a US market is extremely high because it's a private market. It's kind of even a step above some of the things that we need to look at in the UK. So we want to be 100% confident with all of our product because you, you get one chance at launching something like that. As a company, the kind of size and shape we are at the moment, our strategy is very much around UK management before we move across. Um, but once that's in that point, then yeah, we'll have the relevant teams in the US to make sure that we understand that market as well as we do the UK market. Fantastic. And I guess if you establish yourselves in the UK, like the NHS is probably the most well-regarded public health system in the world. It's a, it's a real asset to have then when you go to internationalize. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a good flag to be able to wave because I think to be able to make that mark and be trusted by something that's so critical and, and something that's held in such high esteem it is a massive sort of guarantee for us in the quality of what we do and the sort of care that we take of our customers worldwide. David, I'd like to ask whether you've seen COVID impacting the way uh, healthcare workforces are managed. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think if we, we just take one example where if you move from hospital to hospital or even ward to ward within one trust, a huge amount of checks that are done on you as a healthcare professional need to be rerun. They need to be validated again. A significant issue was when COVID hit and the healthcare organizations were crying out for people to be able to work more flexibly. But the, the ability to be able to qualify yourself as an individual was incredibly difficult. So that made a real difference to the way that sort of identity was managed within the organization. So with the advent of COVID identity passports at the healthcare professional level, so you were able to go to a different organization, QR code could be scanned off the phone, and then it was, it was proven who you were, and then you were in a position where you could give vaccinations or, or whatever the need was. That is one of the things that's really kick-started some of this acceleration in procurement and, and sort of movement, but especially with people. The fact that it's been made very, very clear how the healthcare service needs to be much more flexible in what it is, what it offers, how people interact with it has been huge over the last year or so. So we've been in a position where that's been a real kickstarter for thinking about these things in a different way, how there are different ways of being able to identify people as healthcare professionals. And that in itself just goes on, it really feeds into it being a much more flexible opportunity. I think the idea of people being able to Look at the NHS as a much more sort of nomadic way of working that you're not necessarily tied to one place. You can work in multiple places. These things are completely open. This is something that was not possible before. You worked, you know, at a hospital, maybe even in one ward. Um, and that's where you work. Go somewhere else was a completely different concept. Whereas now it's, it's kind of opening up the fact that why can't these things be more flexible? Why can't healthcare workers be treated the same as people in other industries as well? If we're looking at the numbers of people that are leaving the healthcare profession now, it's terrifying. There's a lot of talk about how workforce is going to be increased in the NHS, but there's no talk about how the budget is actually going to substantiate that as well or how we're actually going to manage it. So the only opportunity to pull at that point is flexibility, is giving people the opportunity to be much more realistic about how they work uh, and giving them the opportunity to kind of balance their life in a much better way. Beyond that greater flexibility, what other changes might we see next? I think, I think we're going to see people actually, rather than just kind of moving around, is, is choosing the NHS or healthcare as a part of their employment opportunity. It's not necessarily the full package that they'll be looking at now. 
I think we're going to see areas where treatments can be held in different places, whereas at the moment it's very static. There are certain areas where they can be. Um, I think it's just going to be a much bigger change where it's going to be a more attractive opportunity than it has been. And I think the, the pull of work in, in health has deteriorated massively in the last few years. I think the biggest thing we're going to see is that this is an opportunity for people to see that this is a viable employment option again. Would you see software addressing, and specifically in the UK uh, situation, some aspects of international recruitment? Yeah, I, I think, again, it's, it's the reach. The ability to identify people has always been one of the real problems. If we can produce software and product, that means that we can have a much greater reach and we can validate people's credentials much easier and be in a position where people understand what that market looks like. I think it's very, it looks very healthy from that perspective. Rather than there being a, a situation where you might move from one country to another on the hope that there was a market there that you could get involved in, I think we're in a position now where you can actually see in real time what that looks like. And you could see and get yourself accepted for jobs and, and schedules where it's not such a leap of faith. There's a lot more data to back it up. I think we can do that with technology. We can provide those tools which aren't there at the moment. It was always just a given that this is an industry that is very static and very archaic in the way it works. I think being able to open those markets up and make that, make that opportunity much more fluid, there's no reason why you can't use product to promote opportunities elsewhere and then actually support that and then you know, manage those people in an agency style from abroad. There's, the products are all very, very possible. Great. Uh, David, thank you so much. It's been really interesting to speak with you today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Great. So we have production by Adnan Tuchar with support by Albena Krasteva and Evan Sheehan and music by Robert Cooney. Catch you next time on the Story of Software podcast.